0: Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to um, Mark chapter six. Um, as you're doing that, want to recognize a couple things. One, I, I hope I don't embarrass them, but I didn't say it in prayer time, but we want to celebrate uh, John and Patricia Hamilton just had the birth of their grandbaby. Uh, how, I don't know how long's it been now? Six two and a half weeks. And I don't have any of this so you'll have to ask them about measurements and size and all of that. but we certainly celebrate that for them. Um, as they were away up in up in Chicago, and then um, also for for your prayers this week, this is in your bulletin. But tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., it says p.m. in the bulletin, but at 10 a.m., we're going to uh, be meeting here. A lot of uh, parents. We've got 28, as I've told you, 28 young people that are going to be going to camp. Uh, three adult leaders that will be staying for the week. Tony. Is going to be my wife Tony will be there. Julie's going to be staying. McNaughton's going to be staying for the week. And um, uh, Hildy Bene- Benedict, am remember remembering, um, is staying for the week with the kids. So they'll be there. So we'll have 31 folks from the church that are going to meet at camp this week. Uh, a number of other parents will be meeting and we'll be caravanning to drive the kids up. So pray for safe travels tomorrow and for the return Saturday. And certainly be in prayer for these, for these young adults and, and some of these kids that are going to be having this week, that it'd be a, a wonderful, safe, uh, spiritually deep, enriching time for them. Uh, it's, it's always fun, especially with some of the, the younger ones. Sometimes it's their first week, first time doing this. And uh, it, it's interesting, every once in a while we'll have a, of a kid that, that will go, and Monday or Tuesday, you know, all we hear is that they want to come home. You know, they want to And a lot of times are the same kids by Saturday that don't want to leave. So, um, so anyway, we pray. We say, pray safe travels. Now, some of us there is an additional need because um, both my kids, Ryan and Cassie, they'll be at camp. Tony, my wife's going to be at camp. Um, seriously, y'all are pathetic. Um, now, as a church, we occasionally provide meals for people in need. And no, no, no. I put a menu together. If anybody wants to sign up. Um, Sorry. All right. Um, that's okay. I'll take your laughter as your lack of pity. So um, anyway, so, so do keep all of that, seriously, all of the, the rest of it in your prayers this week uh, for, the, for these kids and young adults. Uh, now turning to, to our scripture this morning, we're in Mark chapter 6. I've extended uh, the, the portion to read, um, not just 1 through 6, but I'm actually going to go through verse 12 this morning. So let's just begin by hearing uh, these words from, from the Lord this morning. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, anoint us by the power of your Holy Spirit to hear, to to be impacted, to be changed, and to draw close to you and to one another in life, in ministry, in this journey you've called us on. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. I'm going to begin with a single word. And I want you just... To think about the first thing that pops in your mind when I say this word. And the word is titanic. Titanic. Now, the word is an adjective. It means large, enormous, huge, gigantic. But I'm going to bet that most of us do not think of it when we first hear it We don't think of it as an adjective. We don't think it as as descriptive descriptive of an abstract idea. But we concretely locate it in its identity as a noun. And that is, we think of what? The ship, right? We think about the large ship, the ocean liner, that on its maiden voyage in April of 1912 sank and took to a a watery death 1,500 of its passengers. We think of the movie we've seen, the the stories we've read, the museum maybe you've been to, whatever it is, we identify it with that specific moment, in that specific place, in that specific time, and with that specific identity, that ship. And it's interesting because the word has come to, to mean, it's funny, we now use words to describe the word that is meant to describe other things. We use adjectives to describe the adjective, which has for us become a noun. And those adjectives, and, and the Titanic has come for us to represent um, human arrogance. It's come to represent folly. It's, it's come to represent failure. It never completed its maiden voyage. But, but the arrogance of the moment was it was considered by many, and by even the builders, to be what? Unsinkable. Now, we, we, we think there, there's an urban legend that grew up that it was advertised as unsinkable. That actually is not true. The White Star Line never advertised the Titanic as unsinkable. But there are interviews with, I believe it was Edward Smith, don't hold me to the name, but I think that was the name of the captain. Am I right? Okay, of course I'm right. Thank you. Um, <laughs> sorry, just joking. Human arrogance, I'm exhibiting that for you. Um, he, he was interviewed before, and he talked that there were no circumstances he could imagine that would keep this ship from completing its, its mission, its itinerary, if you will. And, and there's the, the, the famous line that is uh, attributed to various people uh, before the journey in describing the Titanic as saying God himself couldn't sink this ship. And, and again, I don't, there's, there's no certainty that that was said, but there was certainly a, a mentality around that that this idea that, that this ship um, could not be sunk. And we know that this grand um, marvel of, of human ingenuity and technology and, and um, luxury was brought down by an ice cube. A big ice cube, but, but a, but a, or, or uh, an iceberg. Yeah. But, but the idea was it reminds us of the the foolishness of believing any human endeavor or any of our human experience is beyond the possibility of failure that that anything in our human experience is beyond the potential that, that it could fail or that that we could fail a couple of years ago there was a movie i was on um, hbo and it was um, a, a kind of a, it was about the, uh, the the banking crisis of 2008 uh, Henry Paulson, U.S. Tre- uh, Secretary of the Treasury and the, the collapse of Lehman Brothers that led to the collapse of, of the, the, sub- the mortgage industry and the, the secondary markets and, and, and all of that happened within banking and, and the economy that, that kind of triggered in, in 2008. You may not be familiar with the circumstances, but we all lived through the, the reality. We saw property values plummet, building came to a stop. We saw it here, here in Parrish as, as all these plant communities hit the wall. And, and we all lived through that, and it was, it was kind of our version of the Titanic. And, and the interesting thing was that um, the movie that was made by two was based on the title of a book, and the title of the book was, and the movie was Too Big to Fail. Because there was this mentality that these entities, these industries, these um, markets, they they were too big. They couldn't fail, they couldn't let us down until they did. And and we all experienced the reality of that. And and the point is we know life teaches us that that as human beings, we are limited. We're imperfect, we're we're, um, bound in by our own frailty. And that nothing we do and nothing we touch is beyond the possibility to fail. Dynasties rise and fall. Businesses come and go. Technology gives way and fades away. That, that's part of the human experience. The only truth or the only person, power, that is beyond that limitation is God himself. The one who is created is above creation. And God is not bound by our limitations. God is not bound by our possibilities of failure until God chooses to be. Until God chooses to be. And God chose to be. And Mark 6 is one of the stories in which we see the reality of that. A God who is above and beyond all of creation, who stepped into human experience, became incarnate, God with us, that's Jesus, who in his humanity accepted our frailty, accepted our limitations, and accepted the reality that he too could experience the pain of failure. Now that's not... way we normally ascribe It's not an experience we normally ascribe to Jesus, but Mark 6 is about that kind of an experience. Mark 6 is about his, in his ministry, it tells us that in his ministry, as he's been teaching, and he's been healing, and he's been doing all these miracles, Jesus has a pull, he has a passion, he has a love for all people, but he feels compelled to go back to his own hometown, the place where he grew up, the people that he knew the best, the most, that he loved maybe deeper than, than all others. And he goes back to his hometown, and they are. And the scriptures say they're amazed by him. It's interesting how it begins. It says that when he began to teach on the Sabbath, those who heard him were amazed by his wisdom and his words. This this carpenter son that they had seen grow up. And in verse six, it goes. Or in verse um, two, it goes on to say that um, they were marked at the remarkable miracles he was performing. They were overwhelmed by his presence. And it starts off as such a positive experience. But notice how quickly it turns. Because they are done in by their familiarity with him. They are done in by the fact that they know this kid who's now 30. But they saw him grow up. They saw him run in the streets. They saw him playing with their kids or their grandkids. They they knew him when he was knee-high to a grasshopper. And this kid is coming now and teaching and doing remarkable things. And they can't make sense of it. And they, it says in verse 3, took offense at him. And the ramifications of that, it says, Jesus could do no miracles there. He could not engage and teach. He could not, they were not able to receive what he came to offer. And it says he was amazed. Some versions stunned at their lack of faith. Understand, this is at its heart. It's a story. I think it's a story of heartbreak. I think you've got to to kind of, you know, the the, the verses are, are brief and they're to the point, but you've got to dig down. This is Jesus' hometown, and they can't receive what he desperately wants to share. And they reject him. And and says, I don't care how we describe that, that's failure. He came to offer them something and they wouldn't receive it. He came to give them something they wouldn't take. That's failure. I'm not saying that's Jesus' failure. I'm not saying it's his fault. But it didn't go the way he wanted it to. And he has to leave. Because they just, they can't imagine how this kid could be that guy. And Jesus Experiences the same reality that we experience. He said, that harsh lesson of life when, when we experience failure, when things don't go our way. You know, it's a it's part of the human journey, and we all know it. We've all been there, I think, because we know that, that life can sometimes be a very cruel teacher. And so Jesus gives a gift, and it's a gift that's easy to miss. But it's a gift he gives to his disciples. And it's a gift that he gives to us. And that is, he gives us the permission to fail. Now, think about this. He begins to send out his disciples two by two to preach and to heal and to do the very work he was doing. And he sends them village to village. And he gives them some instructions. He says, take only what you need. Just take the bare minimum. Because you're going to depend and you're going to rely on the hospitality of the villages you're sent to. You're going to rely on the hospitality and the care of the people you're sent to. But he says this. He says, but if you are rejected, if your message is not received, and understand the implication here is not that it may or may not happen. The implication is it's going to happen. He says, when it does, leave shake the dust off your boots, and move on. He basically is preparing the disciples for the reality that sometimes our experience in faithfulness, sometimes our experience in obedience, is rejection and failure. And that's important to grasp because we, theologically, we sometimes grasp onto what I think is a very, very shallow understanding of how God works. And I don't mean that to be Critical, though, it sounds critical, but, but that shallow understanding is that if we are faithful, if we're obedient, if we live into God's will, we will always receive the blessings that we desire. So that when we are blessed, it means we're doing things right. But the flip side of that is that when things don't go well in our lives, we don't get the promotion, we thought we lose our job, the relationships don't work, whatever it is, that somehow we're being disobedient. God is judging us. The problem with that is it doesn't hold up to biblical scrutiny. Because Jesus experiences failure. He experiences rejection. And it's not the only time it's going to happen. In John chapter 6, long chapter, he does a lot of teachings. He does miracles. And then in chapter, I mean in verse 66 of chapter 6, it basically says this. It says the people had a hard time with what he was saying. Hard time accepting his teaching. And as a result, most of the people left. They stopped following him. They said, no thanks. And they turned and walked away. That was never Jesus' desire. But it certainly was the occasional outcome. Jesus himself would stand before his people on the eve of his crucifixion. And he was part of an election. He was part of a vote. You remember this? Pilate says, I got two here. I got Jesus and Barabbas. I'm going to let you vote. Which one dies and which one do I let go? And what does the crowd cry? Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Jesus was familiar with what we would term as failure when things didn't go as he wanted them to. And as his followers, it is very naive to think that we won't have those same kind of experiences from time to time. And it's very dangerous to assume that somehow the judgment of God. Sometimes our failures are because of our disobedience. Sometimes God bestows many blessings upon us because of our obedience, but not always. Sometimes, you know what, you do the right thing and you pay the price anyway. Sometimes you stand up for, for for the person who's being picked on and you end up in the crossfires of the bully. Sometimes you behave in the ethical way and you end up losing your job. I mean, it happens. And so we need to not try to oversimplify and explain it in such a way that we lose the depth of how God works in the midst of it. And that's what Jesus offers. That's what Jesus gives. He gives us a little model here for how do we continue to move in faith when we experience failure. Because here's the power. Failure doesn't have to be final. In fact, failure can often be an opportunity for new beginnings, for, for new starts, And that's what Jesus wants us to understand. That's what his disciples grasp onto. It's the gift that he gives of permission to fail. But how do we behave when those moments come? And there's a couple truths I want to just extrapolate from, from this teaching of Jesus and this example he gives. And one is this. When you're in a place of failure, get out. Move on. Don't get trapped there. Jesus says, when the village rejects you, Shake the dust off your feet and move. Go on. Don't stay located there. Don't, don't continue to fight a losing battle. Sometimes we find, our, 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 we find ourselves in places where we are just living over and over our losing battles. And that can be literally and that can be figuratively. Sometimes God's telling us you need to get out of a place in a situation that has not worked, whatever that may be. But I think most of the time what happens for us is it's not that we're still physically in that place, but we don't let it go emotionally and mentally and spiritually. We continue to live our failure over and over and over again. We continue to relive the experience, to relive the, 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 the pain, to relive the, the anger, to relive the emotion over and over and over again. And we never shake the dust off and move on. And I will tell you when that happens, because it's easy to spot in other people, and that is when they live and they recount the story and they can't stop dwelling on it, when you and I can't stop dwelling on it. And it is hard to move on from that, because by nature, most of us remember our failures far more deeply and painfully and powerfully than we do our successes. We just do. That's, that's human nature. I was, I was thinking through earlier. I think in, in my ministry, since I was ordained in the late 90s and even before that, I'm pretty confident in saying I have preached over 800 sermons, at least, in, in my ministry. And, and um, you know, most of them are, are, are fuzzy memories. But I will tell you, the sermon I remember more than any other sermon I ever preached. The moment in my preaching that is the most vivid, that has been the hardest memory for me to shake. And it happened when I was the pastor in Oldsmar. And I was preaching, and I was on the floor. We didn't have much of a stage. And I was down here preaching, and as I'm speaking, and I'm expounding upon the Scriptures, and I'm sharing the depth of my wisdom, I'm looking on a sea of blank faces. And I'm realizing, because you don't know, but there's an internal dialogue that is going on every time I stand up here and preach. Right now, I, there's an internal dialogue. I'm, I'm receiving feedback from you. I'm reading faces. I'm trying to see how well I'm connecting. I mean, this is, this is a relationship, even though I'm doing all the talking. Uh, this is a relationship we're in right now. And I knew in that moment that nothing I was saying was connecting. That nothing I, that my words were just not landing, that the, the thoughts I'd put together were not communicating effectively, and it was not because the people were missing the wisdom. I just hadn't done a good job. It just was a dud of a sermon. And I remember that moment more than anything else. And I remember because I pulled the ripcord. Nobody knew I did this, but I pulled the ripcord. When a pastor pulls the ripcord, what that means is he or she wraps it up. I cut the sermon about halfway halfway through what I'd prepared, and I just said, let's go to the Lord in prayer. You know, I did the, the ending, and I was done because I knew that I could keep on going. Nobody was getting anything out of it. It was a failure. I had failed to do what I'd been called to do. I was called to communicate, God, and I communicated nothing. Here's the thing. I know I've preached good sermons, but I don't remember them, but I remember that one. I can't forget that one. And when I found, find myself doubting and playing that mental game, I get trapped in that loop. And, it, and, and there's, a, there's, there's positive drives. There's positive reasons to remember that and to learn from it. Let's, let's not make the mistake of assuming that all our failures mean we're a victim of somebody. Sometimes our failures are our own doing and our own shortcomings. But I find myself trapped in the village. And I have to remember that what Jesus says is shake the dust off. Now that's not at anybody else. That's not a judgment of anybody. But I need to move on. We sometimes get trapped. We get stuck in a moment, and we live it, and we live it, and we live it. And God's calling us to move on from it, move from on from it, move on from it. And that's what He tells the disciples: move on, keep moving, keep moving. Because the second truth is this: don't give up on your dream. Don't give up on the passion that God has placed in your heart and the things that He has called you to. See, the other thing is, He calls the disciples to keep moving, to do what? To go to the next village. To not let that momentary failure define their life or define their ministry, but go on to the next village where you will be received, where God can use the failure to give birth to fruitfulness. And, and we need to keep moving. Very often failure becomes an opportunity for us. It becomes a new beginning. It becomes, as a a fertilizer for, for new opportunities and new growth. We need to keep moving. I was coming in last night after, after being out for the 4th of July with friends, and, and I was getting ready for bed, and the television was on in the bedroom, and I heard a commercial come on. Never heard the commercial before, and I don't even re- remember what the product was. Somebody tried to tell me this morning what they, th- what they thought the product was, but um, I just remember because the words jumped out at me because all I heard was the narration or the person that was on TV. I couldn't see it, but I heard this. I've been fired from my job five times. And I thought, wow, that's quite an interesting way to start advertising a product. But the idea was, and, and through the commercial was, I've been fired, but those, uh, those failures landed me at doing whatever it was the person was doing and selling whatever he was selling and, and kind of trying to get you to buy whatever he was offering. But the idea was that the failure of five firings had given birth to this great opportunity that you needed to know about. Sometimes failure becomes a great catalyst for growth and opportunities. And some of the greatest minds and celebrated individuals of of American history were people who had moments of great failure. You go to the Smithsonian.com, the Smithsonian page, you can read an article on the seven epic failures of Thomas Edison. The seven epic failures, the things that absolutely bombed. We don't think of Edison that way, but he had his moments of failure. Over and over so many people have. Edison's famous for saying something along the lines of, I haven't failed 10,000 times. I've just found 10,000 ways things don't work. That's a great, a great attitude. You know. It, it's the opportunity to, to grow from, from failure. Washington, we're on this 4th of July weekend, and, and I was watching a documentary on, on the History Channel about the Revolutionary War and, and General Washington. And if you know your history, and I know some of you do, you know that it is an absolute miracle of God that we ever won our independence from Great Britain. There's no rhyme or reason the fact that we won that war. And over and over, General Washington, this great leader of American history, this this patriarch, over and over, he failed. They lost. Um, New York was abandoned. His officers threatened mutiny. His soldiers were freezing in, in New Jersey. I mean, over and over, it looked like all hope was lost. Failure, failure, failure until victory because he never quit. He never quit. And we could go over and over figures in, in history that have experienced that reality, who have come to that truth. Very often, we need to keep going in faith. We need to understand that God turns those failures into to new opportunities because we are united under a symbol That was, for much of human history, a sign of epic failure. Do do you catch the power of that? Four places in this building right now. Cross, cross. I don't know if you've noticed, but the sound baffling. They're in the shape of a cross. The cross was a symbol of, of utter failure. Paul would say, it is a stumbling block to the Jews, and it is foolishness to the Greeks. You don't worship a Savior that's nailed to a tree. It's a sign of death and ending and finality until it's not. The whole of Jesus' life and ministry would lead him to the cross, and it would remind us of what God does with failure and darkness and death. He transforms it into victory and light and life. That's the God we worship. That's the God we're called to believe and to trust in and Jesus knew that. And he calls his disciples and he calls those to follow him to not be defined by failure. You have permission to fail. You have permission to know there will be those moments in your life What you don't get to do is dwell and be defined by it. We keep going. We keep going in the power of Christ that transforms that failure into something beautiful and makes something of it. That's our challenge, to fail forward. I I pulled that out of, when I I played football in high school, they used to try to, if you're going to fall, they said fall forward. Because if you fall forward, your momentum will keep you moving. You can keep going in the right direction. There's a lot of things you can do constructively as a football player, even on your hands and knees, if you fall forward. If you fall backwards, party's over. Then you're getting cleat marks on your chest. But if you fall forward, you can keep moving. Sometimes we need to fail forward. Keep moving. Understand, it's a part of life. Not, we don't embrace that. I'm not telling you to go out and find something to fail at. But allow yourself to. And allow God to transform it through faith and through the power of His Holy Spirit. That's our challenge. It's the example of Christ, and it's the call of His people. Let's pray. Lord, it is a, a tough thing to embrace failure. Not to seek it out, not to celebrate it, but to recognize very often, it is a new opportunity for us. It's a new beginning. Help us to fail forward, moving in faith and trust in you, in the example and the way of Christ our Lord. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.